I do want to dedicate the message this morning to Pastor Peter. I'm not sure what any of us would think about it after 80 years, what kind of legacy, what kind of impact we would have hoped to have had on people's lives. But I can think of one thing that, uh, of the many things, as Frank said, there are many things that over half of those 80 years have been spent with us. Over half of 80 years have been caring for us, leading us, growing personally so that you could more effectively care for our souls and, and live for the glory of God among us. And if there was one thing in particular that I would say, what, what legacy will stick out? And I'm going to dedicate this word this morning. It's no coincidence that, you know, this is a word this morning that is about the way Hebrews presents to us the importance of spiritual education. And I think that reality from you will live on long past these 80 years that I don't know anybody who has lived among us who has championed more a love for God's word and a necessity that we know it deeply and cherish it highly than you have. Yeah. So whether you encountered that by having to listen to him tell you that he... Uh, he taught at Andrew Jackson. He probably taught your grandparents down in St. Bernard Parish. He was an educator before he was an educator. Uh, God rescued him and rescued other people from his uh, language classes as well. But then he moved to educating in this category. And then things, their stuff, I think, somewhere in trademark land. Uh, this doesn't count for Sunday. I think he owns the rights to that phrase. Uh, the greatest hour of glory upon the earth. For Sunday school, I believe he owns the rights to that phrase as well. But if he was going to poke at you, he was hoping that something he said would made you get around God's word a little bit more than you do normally. So, Peter, thank you for instilling that in all of us, for the influence you've had on me and on all the pastors and the, everybody who's led here and everybody who's served here. You have invested those 80 years well, and we are grateful for that. So thank you. Go ahead. Go to the bathroom now. <clears throat> All right. Well, if you will open your word this morning to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We're going we're gonna to get a behind-the-scenes look at something called spiritual education as it's presented to us matter-of-factly in, in Hebrews chapter 6. But, you know, we don't need to be educated about education as a people. Education's a big deal for us, very big deal for us. Most all of us have bought into orienting our lives around education taking place. There's something about having a family and the way in which you're going to go about doing that family. You're, you're going to define some things and do some things within proximity of something of a school system. And that school system could determine where you live, where you don't live, whether you move. The patterns and pace of your life are going to get influenced by curricula and extracurricula activities that are taking place in this thing called education. And, and that's been a societal influence for a very, very long time. I just was looking back on what you know the history of education 
as we know it. And the Brookings Institute recently published an article about the historical elements of education. They said formal schooling began to take shape around the 18th century. However, <clears throat> numerous education systems, religious ones, civil service, apprenticeship, and indigenous systems have existed for thousands of years. Liberal arts goes all the way back to the Roman Greco time around, around the time of Christ when they were inventing liberal arts educations. These pre-existing systems focused on, listen, the enrichment of the self, the community, and society as their primary purposes. Right, so I wrote in your outline, if you've got notes and take notes along with us, I hope you do. I wrote, when it came to doing life, we all easily agreed and bought into the idea that education was key to our development. Right, none of us blew that off. None of us just decided, well, I'm not really kind of in, except for Pete Shepherdstein. I stand corrected. Yeah, Pete kind of blew it off. He got about halfway into uh, his education and decided, nah, this isn't for me. But most of us... <laughs> have bought into something. You know, when I stand up here and I say K through 12, is anybody scratching their head going, what the heck, K through 12? What are you talking about? Right? We understand that there is a, a way of going about constructing our lives and that there's something of focusing and organizing some thoughts right back here on our timeline as we go to do life that we're going to need this stuff. We're going to need to take this with us as we go to do life. And so we, we invent language courses that teach us how to read. Aren't you glad you know how to read? What has reading done in your life, right? But you're not always learning how to read. You learned how to read a long time ago and you've been using that and, and how to understand sentence and syntax and, and, Tenses of verbs so that you can communicate, right? You immediately know when somebody's talking funny, don't you? Because you hear them put the wrong tense around the, this, oh, that, that wasn't right. You hear it immediately because you were, you were trained in this. And there's some training that took place when you were in elementary school that taught you how to add and subtract. You don't still get taught that, do you? Because you know that. And, and every day when you go to the store and you, you write a check or you count out and you pay for something or you, you put gas in your car, you're using these skills all over the place in our lives. And then things like history, art, something that educates us about, hey, what did people before us do? What was valuable to them? What motivated them? Why did they do life the way that they do life and and what do i think about my life in light of what i've learned about what other people think right so all these things come from our elementary school education that we live in the rest of our lives now listen we might debate the content of school systems but nobody's debating the existence of school systems we believe strongly in the need to educate effectively in order to live a productive life all right, so if I pick all that up and I put it in the spiritual category of our lives, how do we feel about that? How do we feel about approaching the idea that, that we're going to do life for many, many years for the purposes of God, for the glory of God, for the coming of his kingdom, for the advancement of the gospel, for the building up of the body of Christ? All that doing life, just like in a natural sense, needs an education to do it. 
And so I don't know if you've thought this through, but, you know, what, what was kindergarten for you? Spiritually. All right. I mean, I know, I know you know what kindergarten was for you personally. But you could probably tell me who your kindergarten teacher was. You can probably tell me about ex- some experiences that you had. Right. And then you moved into elementary school and you've got some other experiences that, that you can point to and some really effective teachers that were in your life. Then there was middle school and then high school. And some of you decided, hey, even more than that, let's go to college. Right. So do you have anything in place like that when it comes to approaching spiritual knowledge? Do you approach walking with God and knowing him like, like I could benefit from going, going back to elementary school and having some things put in place right there that are going to travel with me through the rest of this journey? Well, that's what the writer of Hebrews is going to point to. They're having a moment, right? And they're having a, they're having a critical moment. They're having a moment where the stress and strain of life is starting to produce cracks in the structure of life. And so the Hebrews writer by the Holy Spirit shows up and starts staring, you know, walks around maybe with a clipboard and starts pointing out some things that, hey, guys, the reason why your life feels the way it does, the reason why you're tempted in this area, the reason why you're struggling and not sure you want to keep going. And he begins to point out some issues here. And listen to the one he points out today. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So remember, in this section, in, in chapter 6, there is this, this moving on kind of an idea. It's like, hey guys, there's, there's stress and strain. Your faith is cracking. Your walk is under stress and it's not working well because you needed to move on. And you didn't. Right, we heard in chapter 5, a couple of verses before these. Verse 12 says, For though... By this time, you, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. I know what's going on in this moment here, because right, there's two things pulling on each other. You just, you, in chapter 6, we're told to move on. In chapter 5, we're told we need to be retaught. So everybody who, you know, this is a New Orleans thing for sure, but it's probably true all over the place. Matter of fact, I was, I'm preparing this message. I'm in Starbucks. I run into a friend and uh, he and I start talking. And the first subject that comes up is his kids, where they go to school and what school they're trying to get into. I mean, just out of nowhere. It's like, I, I didn't say, hey, that's helpful because I'm preaching on that Sunday. But, but you talk to anybody and there's a strategy going on in your life, isn't there? I mean, I've talked to some of you and, you know, it's like you just gave birth and you're just trying to figure out what kindergarten do we need to get them into? Actually, something in pre-kindergarten that gets them into this kindergarten, that gets them into this school, that gets them into that high school. Right? So there's a value being placed on education here, right? And so in this moment for the Hebrews, they've arrived at taking the entrance text to 
you know, high school X, that one. You know the one I'm talking about, high school X. And your kid takes the entrance exam and guess what? They're deficient in this and in this. And if they're going to get into this school, what are they going to have to do? Go backwards and relearn some things they didn't know. So there's a little bit at play here for these Hebrews and for us too. Our, our ability, our ability to move into the future in things that we really are going to cherish in God. It needs what we picked up in elementary school. And then there's a reality here, right? You hear this? Why does this even need to be talked about to these guys? Because it's very possible that we didn't pay attention while we were in elementary school. And we failed to learn some things that are very, very important. And those things were going to play a role that were going to lead us to some other things. Right? How many of you guys know, just real simple illustration, if you can't do basic elementary school math, you're going to have a really hard time with algebra. Right? We homeschooled our kids. I'm the math specialist. I don't know how many times I said that to my children. Right? There's something about this basic math that needs to become like muscle memory because when you get to algebra, you're going to be thinking about a lot more stuff and then algebra is going to lead to calculus. And those of us nerdy engineers in the room, can I get an amen from you? You know who you are. Um, you know, algebra and calculus starts to become like basic math, adding and subtracting for you to be an engineer. And, you know, and some of you are really good at what you do. And isn't that great that you got to go on and be something really good and influential and in something that you had gifts and talents in? But do you know when that started? In elementary school, way back here. So we're going to get told something here about our, our spiritual education, that there are some things that are instilled in us. Now, two things get said in proximity to each other. You need to move on and you need to go back and learn. All right, so, so which is it? Well, it just depends on what you do with that word move on. Right, that word move on, I'm going to say it, it's, it's more about continuation than it is about conclusion. The things that are in spiritual elementary school, uh, they continue. You, you move on in them in a continuing way. You don't conclude them. So you shouldn't read Hebrews chapter 6 and go, oh, okay, there's this elementary doctrine of the Christ and we're done with that. We're going to forget about all that. No, 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 no. That continues. It, it doesn't go away. And the depth of understanding it informs whatever you're going to do with it in the future. Right, so there's a real strong word here used, that word elementary. We're going to move on from elementary things. It's the same word used back in verse 12 of chapter 5. The basic principles, that's the same word of the oracles of God. But here's what that word means in the original language. It's the word arche in the Greek. It, it means a commencement. It means the chief, the chief in order, or the chief in time, or place, or rank. It means the beginning, the corner. The first, it means principles that are at first put in place, right? So that's what these elementary things are. They're, they're not to be treated like they're, they're dumb things, they're overly simplistic things. Grow up, will you? That's so childlike. No, no, no. They're the first in the initiation of all these other things. So I wrote in your outline, when it comes to relating to God, the creator revealed in scripture, there are some 
elementary school truths that inform and create boundaries for everything else. That's true from the stuff we learn in elementary school. Right, you know, I mean, your parent, you're helping your child do homework one night and they've, they've broken out some basic math and they've multiplied these two numbers and come up with the wrong number. And you look at that and you immediately know something, you know that's wrong. You can see it right away. Or you hear them speak, they write something down and they use, you know, their, their verb tense doesn't agree with the moment. Or they've used a plural and they've hung it together with a singular. And so you, you hear all that stuff, right? You don't, you don't move on from that. That stuff continues with you as you do life. Some of you guys who remember, you, at some point, you, you get introduced to this, I think, in elementary school. But it's at a very small level. And then in high school, you come back and revisit it. It's the periodic table. You guys remember that thing from chemistry? I know chemistry is that class. You're like, dude, I moved on from that. As in concluded, don't ever want to engage this ever again. But the reality is you're engaging it every day, right? So at some point you were introduced to the periodic table, you know, the, the table of elements, and it was going to take you to the microscopic levels of life. And it was going to introduce you to something sort of in an elementary school way. So you got introduced to something like copper, a little square with a little symbol, some other little stuff in that little box next to it. You remember this periodic table stuff? So what, what were you supposed to do with copper? Just, just get introduced to it and just move on from it? Uh, no, you, you're going to take it with you. And eventually, it's going to become something significant in your life. Like, like the wiring in your walls at home. The reason why you can turn on a light switch in your house and light comes on. The reason why you can glance at a city and see a skyline full of lights is because somebody figured out what to do with copper. The nature of copper that you slightly got introduced to that you thought, I don't really care how many electrons are rotating around the nucleus of copper. I don't really care. Oh, but it's the nature of that little weird rotation of electrons that later on is going to allow electricity to flow into your house. And you're going to care about that, aren't you? That's what it means to go on and to mature. It's like there are things that we learn in an elemental way that we're supposed to take with us into another dimension of application in our lives. So, and our lives are full of that stuff. But in this, in Hebrews, we get a little bit of a, an idea about what's some essential ingredients. I don't think Hebrews gives this as the only essentials. But it was a moment where the writer of Hebrews saying, hey, there's some stuff here that you can't get wrong and do this. And the stresses and strains of your life right now, they need to be informed by what you learned in elementary school. And he pulls these things out. I wrote in your outline, when it comes to approaching God, relating to God, and to understanding him and the life he has given us. The correct starting place, listen, is not us. I know that sounds so simple, but it never has needed to be said more than today. Where the correct starting place for everything is us. But if you're going to understand the life that has been given to humanity to live, the way it should function, the, the contours and direction of it, the value system that's in it, it has to start 
with God. And in this passage, some elementary things about him get revealed. Right, so we get introduced to it. I'm going to cluster these together. Most theologians put these in pairs. I'm going to follow their example just to limit our time. So you have this elementary doctrines of the Christ that involve repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Right, this is elementary school stuff. Washings and the laying on of hands. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. I will stick this in for those of you guys who've ever studied the book of Hebrews. And you'll know when you look at this list, theologians will look at it from more than one direction. One of them are feeling like, hey, these guys were backing up because of the strains of life. They were backing up into Judaism again. And so when they did that, they were reaching for familiar Judaistic stuff. And they were pulling that into what was essential. And they're beginning to pay attention to that. So there could be a correction going on here is, hey, 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 no, no, no. That's, that's not the place to put your focus. But at the same time, Judaism exists as a, an elementary school, if you will, of Christ. It's, it's there to teach you things so that through history, God installed something in Judaism that was teaching and teaching and training and training. The law was given to us as a tutor to do what to us? To lead us to Christ. So there's some things even here, even if that is what's taking place, which I'm not sure that is. There are some things learned here, even from a Judaistic viewpoint, that are intended to make us go, oh, Jesus Christ, and to see him more clearly. Right? So, I, and I think also some would say this. I mean, Peter O'Brien, I'm going to quote from him, who wrote a New Testament commentary on this. He says, the six items that follow are part of the foundation of Christian instruction. So many theologians don't feel like this was a backing up into Judaism, just the basics of what everybody, like a catechism, what everybody got taught in the first century. Although the author chides his listeners for needing milk, he intends to give them solid food. He wishes to move them beyond the basics, and this involves building on the foundation, not rejecting it. So he lists these teachings and brings them to their attention. All right, so we're going to move through these three pairs this morning. I'm going to spend most of my time in repentance and faith, and then we'll move through the other couple of pairs a little more quickly. All right, so there is this thing that if you're going to get around God, you're going to encounter and need to be able to know how to use these two words, repentance and faith. They're essential. If you have no idea what to do with those words, then you probably don't know much about approaching God either. These words are big. They are, they are featured words. They sound unwelcomed. I get that for some. We don't like, especially our world today. This is not true a couple of generations back, but our world today does not like to be corrected it does not like to be told you're standing in the wrong place. It doesn't like to use the word wrong. It feels like everything is relevant. Everybody should be affirmed in some way. They have their own right to their own opinion. That feels like the way in which we should interact with one another. And then Jesus gets pulled into a modern setting. And you might begin to treat Jesus like a non-historic figure, like, like something you invented today. You made him up. This this caring, compassionate, 
representation of love. And love for me means constantly affirming all things that I find valuable. So therefore, that's what Jesus must be like. What if I took you back to the very beginning of Jesus' ministry and I told you that the introductory word that Jesus uses to introduce his ministry to humanity is the word repent. What if that's where he started? Right? The gospel of Mark opens this way. This is Mark recounting this earthly ministry of Jesus. This is where he starts. Mark 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Right? We know who this is. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. This is John the Baptist. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The initial figure prophesied in the Old Testament would be John the Baptist who would come on the scene and he would have a ministry to prepare us to receive the ministry of Jesus. And his ministry was the baptism of repentance. And then Jesus is going to show up on that scene in verse 14 of chapter 1 in Mark. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is Fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this elementary teaching was what Jesus began, and he introduced what he was there to be and to do in these people's lives with the words repent and believe. These are not small words. These are massive words. Isn't it puzzling? It's puzzling to me how you could get very far into the Christian faith and move past these words too quickly. And perhaps not really know what it means to repent. Or feel like that's, that's a heavy word. That's a come on word, man. That's one of those words that makes people not want to attend churches like this. But, you know... I'm just a hired servant in the household of God. I'm just a steward. I don't, I don't get to write my own script. I don't get to stand in a pulpit as a pastor and come up with something that you'd like. Or come up with something that would make you like me more. Or make you like our church more. I don't, I don't get to do that. I get to follow the master. The one who introduced his ministry with the word repent. And believe. So if you're going to get around me, I mean, this is Jesus. His introductory moment. This is not Jesus, the fourth course I'm taking about Jesus. This is Jesus, glad to meet you, Jesus. Nice, what's your name? I'm I'm, I'm Jesus. Hey, this is what I'm about and this is why I'm here. Repent and believe. And immediately you'd have to figure out, where do I put that word repent? Where do I put that in my life? What has that got to do with? And you'd have to figure that out. 
Listen, we're all used to getting around buzzwords. The church world, spirituality, faith has buzzwords. Church is a buzzword. You go to church, what does that even mean? Faith, the Bible, worship. These are buzzwords. And we're all familiar with these words. Repentance and faith. That's a bu- those are buzzwords. We've heard these words before. We've gotten around them. But just because I've gotten around words and I've become very familiar with them, and I can even use the words, doesn't mean I have actually walked in them. All right, go with me on a little journey. Everybody's got to participate here. So get ready to lift your hand. Uh, how many guys... Uh, how many of you guys know what hockey is? All right, keep, keep listening to your hand. This is the exercise you get for the day. How many of you guys know what a hockey stick is? If I showed it to you, you'd know what it is. How many of you guys know what a hockey puck is? Yeah. Uh, if, if I pointed to the ice rink in a hockey game, match, whatever the heck it's called. <laughs> I know hockey's a little different, right? I'm, I'm from here. Sorry. Um, how many of you guys could pick out the goalie in hockey? All right. All right, you put your hands down. How many of you guys have actually ever skated on ice, held a stick in your hand, and shot a puck into a hockey goal? Let me see your hands real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right. First of all, we're very impressed with each and every one of you. There's only about eight of you here, but you are obviously more coordinated than the rest of us. We are impressed. But for the rest of us, we all can explain all these words. We can point them all out. And perhaps we've never repented or had faith in the way in which the Bible is describing for us to engage. So I wrote this in your outline. I wanted to be careful to hold on to it. These words, repentance, they are substantial acts that are preceded by genuine and personal thought. For me as an individual, the ministry of Jesus comes to me and requires me first to consider what I should turn away from. What I should stop believing and doing. Can you go with me there for a second? I don't know why Jesus is involved in your life. I'm not sure why you came to a conclusion that there was something that you were Seeking something that you were wanting. It could have come in any kind. You could have been a desperate moment that, that whatever Jesus is, I don't even know who he is and what he did, but I'm so, I'm so desperate right now. I'll just go with anything. Maybe that's how you came to Jesus. And, and God does that. Maybe you came because it sounded like somebody was selling you a deal. The Jesus consultant business. He, he can come alongside you with some really cool ideas and your business will be more successful than ever. And your relationships will be blessed and you'll make lots of money. Welcome to the American gospel. And so that sounded like, Hey, Hey, I want in on some of that. But, but when the gospel comes to us and Jesus presents it to us, it begins with the word repent, which calls me to question of what, what am I supposed to stop Doing and believing. Because I'm, I'm going to be called upon now to believe something else. So secondly, to believe is to come into agreement and to place my faith in something 
specific. Right? This is not an invitation to vague spirituality. This is not an invitation for us to engage something under the cloudy sphere of religion. Or I need to do some things different. I, live to, I need to live a little bit more of a moral life. Maybe come into groups like this from time to time. Right? We don't get to determine that. When the gospel comes to us, presented by John the Baptist, presented by Jesus, it is asking and calling for and demanding two things. That I think about what I need to stop doing and believing, and that I put my faith in something specific. That's what this is asking for. Hendricks and Kistemacher in their commentary on Hebrews says, the first Component. The first component of the Christian's spiritual foundation is repentance. This means turning away from something that is detrimental to one's being. Basically, repentance constitutes a negative action. In this case, a change of mind that results in no longer performing acts that lead to death. That's how that, those words can be translated. Repentance, then, is an activity that involves the mind and thinking of a personal, a complete turnaround in the life of the believer. No longer does he show an interest in activities that lead to his destruction. He now shuns the effects of sin that bring about death. That's a good, helpful understanding of this initial step that I'm taking. Right? I, w- I want to come to Jesus. All right, put your foot right here on that. Yeah, that, that stepping stone, repentance. Yep, that's where you start. That's the first thing you got to do. But repentance means something. It's not just an oblivious stone. It m- means I'm actually turning from something else. Changes are coming into my life. My value system is about to get rocked. And when that gets rocked, behaviors are going to change. And what I pursue is going to change. And destructive patterns are going to change. And I'm going to question things in my life as to why that's there and why have I let that be there. So I don't know what your testimony of coming to Christ sounds like, but it should sound like that. And I came to Christ as a teenager. So I hadn't lived a life so long that I had all kinds of structures in place, but I had issues. I had attitudes. I had ways in which I went about doing things. And, and I begin to bump into just, you know, the simplest little categories of that needs to stop. Right? I'm, I'm a teenager who helped himself very early in life to drugs and alcohol. And coming to Christ, literally, I came to Christ on a Friday night and never got drunk again and never did drugs again. From that moment on. I, had, I didn't even know what a church was at that point, except for the Catholic church that I'd grown up in. I hadn't gotten around anybody who said, you know, you probably ought to not be high half the time, Keith. Uh, probably, you might want to think about that. And, you know, you are a little underaged, all that alcohol you're drinking. No one came along and said that. Something of the Spirit of God brought a sense of stop doing that into my life. The way I talked. Just my speech, it's, you know, the content of it, the tone of it, the the disrespect in it. 
There was repentance in these categories. There was stop doing that. Begin to do something differently in that. My view on sexuality as a young man, how to pursue that, what was open game, what was okay, came under conviction leading to repentance. Stop, stop that and do something different in that category. My views of right and wrong got radically shifted and changed. Hey, you know, I grew up, you know, I'm just on the other side of the drug culture. So, you know, everything was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, that was still the momentum of life when I come to Christ in 1979. So the idea that somebody out there just published a song that is celebrating sin for which Christ has died. Does your confession of Jesus mess with your music choices? Do you listen to things? Do you watch movies that celebrate what put Christ on a cross? So, so somehow, right, this is, this is where we've lost the word of repentance. I want Jesus, and I know I need him, but, but that step of repentance, stop that and start this. It's like that's gotten lost in Christianity today, hasn't it? And I'm not trying to install some kind of moralism or legalism. But Jesus began with the word repent. There's something about your life that if you want this connection with God, you've got to start with repentance. I think these words, these elemental principles, they kind of function in our lives the way a map does. Let me give you a little, maybe a geographic illustration. Um, Right, so if I were to tell you that there's, there's, a, there's a map, there's a spiritual map, right? And it, and it works just like a physical map. And on that spiritual map, there's all these hills and there's roadways and there's cities. And, and I were to say, and, and God is right here on that map. And I put a big X, big red X that you could see. God is right here. Him with all of his nature and character, because everything that we're learning about in the Bible is the outflow of his character. The gospel sounds the way it does because of the character of God. Righteousness is defined out of the character of God. Power is understood out of the power of God. So, so when I say this X right here, it's like, you know, don't be tempted to put pieces of Bible all over the map. They're, they're extensions of him. So if you find him, you find righteousness. You find the right way of looking at good and evil. And so I tell you, there's a mark on the map, the big map. I lay it out in here and I put this mark on it. If you're going to come to him, you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to change course. Because you've been living life up to that moment. You're headed somewhere. It's like, I mean, if I were to tell you, hey, meet me in New Orleans. You don't get to say, hey, well, you know, like on what day? Um, Tuesday? Oh, that, that's helpful because like on Thursday, New Orleans is like in a totally different place for me, man. It's just how I feel on Thursday. It's just different, you know? So on Thursday, I put New Orleans over here. So you say Tuesday because for me, Tuesday's going to mean New Orleans is over here, dude. So I'll meet you over there. Does this sound stupid yet? It sounds like I'm still using drugs from the late 70s. God doesn't move around the map. God is who he is. New Orleans doesn't move around the map. It's located where it's located. So if you've been living your life, you know, with a great zeal and a passion to go to Paris, 
and you've arranged your life to go to Paris and you meet Jesus and he says, hey, New Orleans is now your, this is your location now. You're going to have to change, aren't you? You're going to have to repent. You have to go in a different direction. Now, 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 now maybe, maybe you weren't headed to Paris. Maybe you were headed to Dallas in your life. So for you to repent, it's going to look a little bit different. little change, of course, going to be a little bit different. Dallas is a little closer to New Orleans. But nonetheless, you're still going to have to change locations, aren't you? And by the way, nobody was accidentally heading to New Orleans. No one. The Bible makes that clear. No one's accidentally seeking God. Oh, I didn't have to repent because I met Jesus and I came to find out I was already seeking him. And no, you were not. The Bible says, no, you were not. You were headed somewhere else. So for you to, to land at his address, you're going to have to change course in what you do with your life and what you believe in your heart. Now, it's interesting because, you know, there's a bunch of people who are going to hear Jesus' message of repentance and he's going to encounter them in the Gospels. And they're going to have to change course differently. Right? Remember, Jesus met the, the, the Roman centurion. You remember this guy? And that guy would have come out of a Roman system of thinking, a Greek-Roman-influenced system of thinking. He had many gods that he believed in. He prayed to those many gods, asking them for blessings in multiple categories of his life. He probably was doing some stuff on the side that he shouldn't have been doing. He probably was embezzling some money from people who he had charge over them. So he could make a little, he had a little side hustle going on, collecting some funds from various people in the town. It would not have been unusual if you're a man of influence that you had a little boy on the side. And he meets Jesus. And the kingdom of God has come to this man. And its introductory word is repent. He's got a lot of stuff to change, doesn't he? He's got a belief system that he's looked to. He prays in a certain way. He needs to stop that. I mean, you understand, you can't make Jesus Christ Lord and still pray to Zeus. You can't do that. They're incompatible. If you still pray to Zeus, you are confessing Jesus is not Lord. He's not the Lord of the universe. I think there's other powers out there that I need to appeal to them and get them on board with me. So yeah, I'm following Jesus, but I'm still keeping this alive because maybe there's some truth here. No, 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 no. You need to abandon everything and follow Jesus. John the Baptist met some of the Pharisees, religious Jewish leaders. Now they weren't headed to Paris. They were probably headed to like Chalmette. But by the way, you guys in Shalmet, still not New Orleans, okay? I mean, they were, they were picking up the Old Testament. They were reading about the God of the Old Testament. They acknowledged the prophets. They held the Bible with endearment and, and weightiness. They, they were offended by your disrespect for things that were in God's word. And they show up. To John the Baptist's ministry. And John the Baptist says what to them? Hey, you guys are already in. You're good. Who warned you to come? And to flee? See, the Pharisees believed something that put their heading in the wrong place. 
They were a self-righteousness people. Their understanding of getting to God was to pick up everything they could figure out that God had ever said and turn it into a rule and live by it in their own power so that they would be well accepted by God. And a lot of what they used came right from things that God had said, but they had used them in a way that God never intended them to be used. If they're going to repent, there's a lot of stuff they don't need to change. But there are some things they need to change. And it's going to look very different than the Roman centurion, right? But at some point for any of us to come to Jesus means you've got to change course. All right, so let, me, let me mess with all of us today. Because right, it's safe to talk about the centurion and the Pharisees. All right, what about all you Roman Catholics in the room? Right? I grew up Roman Catholic. My dad was Roman Catholic. My dad went to church every day of his life. My mom grew up Methodist. Somebody got any Methodists among us? Yeah. The old guy here. I think he was a, he was a trail rider with John Wesley, in case you were wondering. <laughs> I mean, he was starting Methodism. But All right, we've got some ideas. By the way, can I just, I'm going to rescue a lot of you guys who are Catholic. I, you know, I was one of those Catholics who, who didn't know where on earth whatever I believed came from. But I believed stuff. And I was committed to it. But I didn't know where it came from. And so in all fairness to everybody involved in parting this, it, it, I could have picked this up from my aunt. I could have got this from my dad. I could have got this from the church. I mean, it, just, it was just a bunch of ideas that sat in a religious category that I formed views about God and about how to relate to him. My mom was Methodist, and so she had views of where she came from. But, you know, you can have all that stuff in you and not have repented and put your faith in Jesus Christ in the same way that you know a lot about hockey and never have played hockey. And that was me. I knew a lot about God. I knew, I'd heard of the, it's not like I never heard of the Bible. I'd even read parts of it. But there was a disconnect in my life. If I was on the map, I don't know, you know, if, if this is the big X where God is, I, you know, I'm headed for somewhere, not too far off. I'm not a Muslim. I, I'm not an atheist. But I, I'm, I'm not headed to that X. Because I'm trying to get there by being a good person and by keeping the religious rules that I have been taught. And I knew nothing about the need for the substitutionary work of Christ on my behalf to forgive my sins and to regenerate me by the Holy Spirit. No idea about any of that. And that's where I was going to need to land. And listen, you may be here today. I mean, we're becoming a religious in our country. So you may be more in tapped with just the, the theology, if you will, the philosophy of the age, which has stood up the idea that the individual is at the top of the food chain. And nobody, nobody should tell you what to do or believe with your life. Nobody. You don't put that on me. Hey, that's good for you, but that's not what I believe. As though me being an individual gives me something to believe in and to define life's existence. And so that starts turning into morals that I created, how to treat people, what to do with life. What is this whole sex thing about anyway? Well, I'm at the top of my food chain, so it's about whatever I say it's about. And then you meet Jesus. 
And the first word he brings up to you, an elementary word is repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the starting point. It's a place of repentance. So I'm going to need to stop doing some things. Maybe if Jesus had used that word, stop it. First thing out of his mouth, he meets you, shakes your hand. Keith, great to meet you. Stop it. I'd like, what does this guy know about me? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, everything. (laughs) And stop it actually means something, doesn't it? It's kind of what that word repentance is, trying to grab my life to let me know. God is located here, Keith, and you are headed over there. And you may not miss as much as somebody else is going to miss, but you're going to miss. And the only way to change that is for you to change course. Your actions and beliefs have got to change. And that's what repentance, right? So this is elementary school, right? This is where the writer of Hebrews says, hey, this is like what you learn in first and second grade. The posture of being a human being who relates to God out of a posture of turning to him from other things. Elementary school. This is not advanced teaching. This is not just for the college graduates who are getting their master's degree. This is welcome to an introduction to the kingdom. You're going to need to repent. And then when you move on from that, you're going to never leave it behind. It's not like, oh, okay, well, okay, so it sounds like repentance is just for those who got born again in the last two years because it's elementary. No, it's what you build on. It starts and then it never goes away and it turns into stuff like copper does into very usable, valuable things in our lives. And so there's all across this room, there are, there are husbands and wives, there are business owners, there are people functioning in government. There are people God has assigned to certain things that repentance needs to be a part of the way I do my Christian life. And it could be that for those of these guys who've got stress fractures developing in their world, it's because they have forgotten and need to be retaught the elementary thing. They have begun to live their Christian lives with repentance at a distance. And the Hebrew writer says, it's the reason why your world is crumbling around you. You have need of someone yet again to teach you the basic principles of relating to God. Now, I will say, just as a great caution, you know, you and I are trained by America before we're trained in spiritual truth. We've already said K through 12, it's got a lot in it. Basic stuff that's morally neutral and not basic stuff. But no matter where you went to school, what K through 12 thing you experienced, every day of your life, you sit with front row seats to a class that teaches you teaches every day through every billboard through everything you flip through through every thought through what gets published what gets celebrated what people make a lot of noise about who's showing up for stuff everybody goes to this taylor swift must be like the savior of the world huh (laughs) everybody's showing up for taylor maybe not everybody except for linda pratt's everybody else is showing up for taylor so when I, when I come to this moment, this is, this is elementary school. 
And I need to be trained in something because everything else is training me. And I need to have as a major piece of how I do my life, repentance and faith toward God. Not spirituality, not vague nudge in the right direction, not I think I'm, you know, I'm going to try and do better in a certain category. No, no, no. Faith toward God. Any God? No, this God. The God of, of the scriptures, the creator who reveals himself personally with a name, Yahweh of the Old Testament, who is a triune God who sends his son to die in our place to reunite us and then sends his spirit to live in and among us. That God. Faith toward that God. What if I believe some of that, but well, then you don't have faith toward that God. That God is an X on a map. Well, what if I'm, what if I'm heading to Baton Rouge? It's still like in Louisiana. You're headed to the wrong God. He's here and you, you can't move him. He is where he is. And no matter how personally I feel about, you know, I don't care for the mosquitoes in New Orleans and the humidity is terrible. And uh, there's so much about that. I don't really want to go there. Well, that's where he is. And so either you want to choose something else about life to live your life for, or you want him. Because he is located at a particular exact X. He's revealed himself a certain way. So when you and I repent, we turn from things to that. And who he is and what he has said. And we put our faith in him exactly as he's been revealed. Wow. Let me just, because I know you guys are curious about a couple of these. I'm I'm just going to make a quick comment. There's this whole category of washings and laying on of hands. And there's, 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 the word there is actually baptisms. And so it's associated with washings. It's associated with baptisms. So there is this, I just want to capture this. There, there is in both Old Testament Judaism And in the introductions to Christianity, there's some ceremony taking place to pay attention to, right? When you get baptized, it means something, right? You're identifying some things. It's not just like, hey, well, I just got wet, you know? Yeah, that's that get wet ceremony where you get wet. Yeah, but it's a lot more than that, right? It means something and I have to think about it and receive it. So there are all kinds of washings. In the Old Testament, there is this vast system of the tabernacle that involved all kinds of moments that it was okay and moments that it was not. Cleansings that needed to take place. What was all this stuff? It was all ceremony. And what did that ceremony communicate? You and God are not the same. He is holy. And you are not. And if you're going to approach him. You're going to need to take those steps very carefully. And you're going to need to do exactly what God says. And when people in the Old Testament did not do exactly what God said, they died. They faced the power of God falling on them. So I think there's something elemental to, hey, I'm going to relate to God. Oh, okay. Remember that tabernacle thing that existed in one location and had a really, really holy place on the inside of it and a little bit less holy place right beyond that and a little bit less holy place beyond that? Oh, but by the way, the rest of y'all can't even come to that place. Only a handful of people that God told could come to that place. They can go there. The rest of you cannot. What is that saying? 
You can fold your arms and get all mad. Well, well, that's unfair. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. How come I don't get to go? You can do that all you want. But God installed that to say, do not casually approach me. And you won't fully understand that until you get to the new heaven and the new earth and you get a mind that can understand what the nature of God is fully like. And you will be so glad God put up some, some slow down and some speed bumps before you get near him. And our songs would sound violently loud if we understood that the reason why we don't do some of those ceremonies is because of what Christ did in our place. I stand cleansed of sin because of what he did on my behalf. Hey, how come y'all don't eat this way? The Old Testament people did. How come y'all don't do this? How come you don't have this ceremony when you guys get together? How come? Because Jesus Christ fulfilled it all on my behalf. So that it could be done with between me and God forever. And that's true for us. And we live in the good of that. And it makes me sing and celebrate. Oh, what a savior. All right, one more thought here. This is elementary stuff, right? This is, this is hey, elementary. If you're going to approach God, can you, can you be careful and be aware? Oh, but I like a cozy God that you can just go, ah, oh, whatever. You like to cozy up to electricity? There's a piece where, yeah, God's cozy. He is. And then there's this last category, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This is elementary. All right, so let me just, I'm going to read a couple thoughts to you real quick. In your outline, it says, existence, our existence has a destination. Life has meaning and consequences. We are not meant to think of our lives as random, amoral, and inconsequential. Elementary school taught me that there is a resurrection. I'm coming out of this world. So even if I go into a physical box and you stick me in the dirt, that's not the end of my story. Everybody's going to get resurrected. And then there's this other thing called an eternal judgment. Everyone is going to stand in eternal judgment. Everybody. I'm supposed to know. This is elementary school. I, I, don't, I don't learn this and move on from it. I take it with me into every day of my life. It's, it's the copper that becomes the wiring in the walls of my life. It starts to inform me how I live. And how I don't live. What I value and what I don't value. Remember this is in the context of, of Hebrews 5. That says you know. The end of that chapter, but solid foods for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is about good and evil. I'm supposed to be living life distinguishing good from evil. Who says what's good and evil then? The next guy in line, everybody gets to choose on their own. Listen, right, this, is, this is the teaching ministry of the church. Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't do it. Stop. Stop it. That's a repentance word. Back to elementary school. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. How do you know what's good and evil? What is the will of God is what is good 
and evil. It's not what, it's not what our generation says. There's, there's not, a, can I just tell you, there is no right side of history. You're either on the right side of God or you're on the wrong side of God. Wherever you fall out in history. That phrase, I hate that phrase. I'm going to end up on the right side of history. History is just a recording of people passing through time. It doesn't have any power. God has power. And it's all about what was his will. What did he intend your and my life to be? Why did he create this place? What does everything have a purpose for in this world? That's what determines what's good and evil. When something stops answering to the will of God, it is no longer good. It is evil. So the will of God needs to be a massively important thing. Where's Seth? Oh, there you are. Thank you, Seth. I know you're supposed to be doing pictures and stuff today as well. There is an appointment for man, Hebrews says, and you can look this up in your notes later. It's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. The Bible tells us that. That's elementary school. It was intended to remind you that every day that you live your life, there are consequences. Every day that you take action, you make decisions, you decide to agree with this and disagree with that. Every day, there are consequences to our lives. That's elementary school. We were not intended to be Christians who live life later in the world. We have no knowledge of that. Well, well if you are, you're going, to build, you're going to build houses with no electricity in them. Because you moved on from something very elemental. And yeah, you might be living some kind of a life, but I tell you what, when life gets hard and you can't turn the air conditioning on, you're going to wish you had learned what copper was really about. And you're going to wish you had a mature knowledge of copper so that you could stick those wires in the walls and turn on air conditioning and go, ah. Well, there's a whole lot of stuff spiritually going on around us that we learned copper-like elementary school things. Like our lives matter. Like the decisions that you make today matter. Like there are consequences. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says all of us to render an account for that which is good and evil in our lives. We will all, we're supposed to live in light of these things. We don't move on from this stuff, do we? We just take it to the next place with us and it becomes larger and bigger and more impacting in our lives. That's what I think these elemental things should do. There is meat waiting for us. It's when you build a hundred story building and you stick copper inside that thing and it lights the whole place up. And you learned how to put copper in wire and use it. You didn't move on from copper, did you? You just learned how to use it. And that's true of these elemental things in our lives as well. But let me be real honest this morning with you before we pray. I've been honest all along, actually, by the way. Um, what, what if you're here today? What if you're watching our tape delay, our live stream? And you're like somebody who knows repentance and faith the same way that everybody in the room here knew hockey. You know about those terms. You've heard about Jesus. You've bumped into religion. You were raised in a Christian home. You know a lot of this stuff. Have you repented? 
and put your faith exclusively in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Have you done that? Can you look back on your life? And if I gave you a checkbox of life, can you look back and say, I remember when I repented of that. I remember when that stopped and this started. I remember when that went away. I remember when I became convicted that I should not be doing that. This is elementary school stuff. Everybody should have stories like that. And what this verse does and what it does really powerfully as we move into chapter six is it warns you if you can't tell that story, you may really not be a believer. So maybe you're here this morning and you haven't stopped believing something else. You still kind of believe what you've always believed and you've kind of added a little piece of Jesus to that. You haven't repented of a life that's at odds with the Lord whom you're looking to trust. He has an opinion. He designed the world for something. Are you in agreement with him? Are you living in a world that's educating you on what choices you make rather than listening to him tell you what choices to make? Because you put your faith in him being Lord of your life. If you'd like to this morning, maybe this makes sense to you in a way that it hasn't before. And you recognize, hey, I'm doing the religious thing, but it's kind of like I'm headed to Baton Rouge here. And I see, I see God is here. And I need to turn away from that. And to put my faith right here. Let's bow our heads together. Maybe there's some folks here this morning. You want to do that. Or you're watching and you want to do that. Just repentance is a word to consider before you pull the trigger on it. What are you repenting of? You're repenting of some kind of substitute belief, some kind of tradition, some kind of other means like the Pharisees had of getting right with God? Are you repenting of a sinful lifestyle that ignores what God has made clear? Where are you putting your faith? You're putting your faith in Jesus Christ, God, become man. Living a life in your place you could never live. Receiving your judgments in himself to rescue you from judgment. If you've not done that before, this morning, do that. Let those words mean something. Turn to God right now in your heart. Put words to your life. Tell him, God, this morning I repent. God, this morning I turn away from something else rather than you. This morning I turn from a life lived according to other ideas than yours. God, I repent of those things. I'm stopping. Actually, some things this week are going to stop in my life. And I put my faith in you. What you did in my behalf, your mercy, your forgiveness, your power to live a life that pleases God. I put my faith there in you, Jesus. This morning, I'm doing that, trusting my life to you from this day forward. And I want to pray just for a moment. I believe there's some folks here, you've, 
You've come to Christ many years ago. But you have need to be taught the basic principles yet again. You have need of hearing God speak to you about repentance. You are not in a good place this morning. You have allowed sinful practices to continue in your life. You you know what they are. This is not a wild goose chase in my heart to figure out what might he be talking about. No, no, no. You're here this morning and you know, you know God has spoken to you. And it may be that the stresses and strains of your life are producing even greater destruction because you have forgotten repentance. And like the writer of the Hebrews this morning, God is teaching you again what you already knew. But you need to act on it. Even now, as God has given you grace to hear this, act on it. In your heart, repent before your body repents, before your activities repent. This morning, act on it. Come into agreement with God. Say, Lord, I know I need to stop that. And this morning, I say yes to you. That's going to change. I'm going to begin to respond to you and follow you. And that thing is no longer going to stay in my life. I'm turning away from it. God, its days are over. I turn to you. I put my faith in you, Lord. Whatever that was doing for me, whatever comfort it brought, whatever security it produced, whatever substitute it was to me, God, I put my faith in you. You will be that to me. I don't need that other thing. God, that's what some of the Hebrews needed. Perhaps it's what some of us need today, Lord, to go back to elementary school to embrace something that needed to have traveled with us into this moment of our lives, to repent and put our faith in you and in you alone. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for reminding us today simple things that we may have moved on from rather than letting them continue into a deeper way. But for that, we give you thanks. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, plug this this don't count for I don't know what you would say in this moment this this don't count for other discipleship opportunities I sat and listened to some of systematic theology this morning and could just not get past the fact some of this was in the authority of God's word you need to study and know God's word deeply you need it so don't skip deep things we need the meat otherwise we'll never know what to do with that copper Right? We'll just leave it in the hills, maybe make a little watch out of it or something, but not realize it could run the city if we used it correctly. Amen? All right, guys, Fall Fest begins. Enjoy. Looking forward to getting to connect with everybody. Enjoy some good food. Enjoy some connecting with friends. Meet some new people that you haven't had a chance to get around and just make sure they're welcomed into the family as well. See you guys next week.